Well, good morning, Woodside. It's, qui it's quieter inside? That's very strange. Thank you. <laughs> good morning. I'm so pleased to get to celebrate Jesus together every week, and maybe especially this week. We had just a lovely service outdoors with hundreds and hundreds of fellow Jesus followers. It is just good to gather as a family, and I just thought we, thought we got such a good picture of that just earlier this morning. A family knelt praying in Thanksgiving. Not all wrapped up, some tears, but a family knelt thanking God, praying to Him. I've been really grateful for this past uh, summer, for the last four months. It's quite fitting to be thankful, I guess, on a weekend like this. Now, I don't know about your family, but if your family of origin is anything like mine, I'm guessing that this weekend revolves around a meal of some kind. Anyone else? A meal usually shared with family and friends? Well, in light of Thanksgiving, I thought I would begin this morning with uh, a story of a meal shared together. A couple years ago, a bunch of friends and I went on a summer canoe trip in northern Ontario. And it was glorious, as you might imagine. I absolutely love everything about those trips. The nature, the water, the canoeing, the friends, all of it. It really, it, it fills me up. And on that trip, I started to look forward to something else also. And that's because on the first day we were out, my friend Darren found some clams in a lake we were canoeing through. And he decided that over the next couple of days, he would collect these clams, and at the end of our time together, we would have a feast. And I was excited. I love seafood. And this seemed like a stroke of genius from an already very bright man. And so for the next few days, he would collect clams every time he saw them, putting them in a small bag beside the canoe, cleaning them in fresh water. And finally, on the last day of the trip, we were ready for our feast. And so we built a campfire, and we boiled water, and it seemed like it took forever to cook these things. But after a few minutes, eventually a few of us had cooked clam on the end of our forks. And we bit in together. And we were rewarded with a terrible, gritty, bitter, dirty taste, which led to quite a bit of spitting and hollering throughout the campsite. I'm sure you can imagine. This moment that I'd been looking forward to for days, savoring in my mind, had turned bitter in my mouth. I hope, for your sakes, that your Thanksgiving dinner has a lot less sand in it, uh, and maybe tastes a lot less bitter, but actually we'll come back to those clams a little later on. This morning we're in the third week of our series, Emotions and Relationships. The first week, Pastor Dan spoke to us about guilt and shame, and we shared in the Lord's Supper together. And then this past week, uh, he preached on stress. And each week, we've been looking at various feelings, normal feelings that every one of us experiences at some point in this life. And these feelings just spring up. They're part of what it means to be human. We feel something, and then often that feeling moves us somewhere. We do something because we felt something. And so this morning we're going to look at two emotions that everyone feels in their life and that move them one way or the other. We're going to look at gratitude and bitterness. 
And as we were planning this series and talking about which emotions to address, it felt really important to talk about gratitude. Being grateful or thankful to God is not just commanded of Christians throughout Scripture, which it is, but for the believer, gratitude is unavoidable. And that's because in the big picture, we know that we have been created by a loving God. We've been saved by the work of his hands, and someday we will be with him forever and ever. It's a glorious, glorious life we lead. That is certainly true in the big picture. But then in the little picture, we face all of these little things that are hard, things that are uncomfortable or traumatic or sometimes even brutal, things where our reaction, our our first feeling is not to be grateful or thankful. And so what do we do then? And as I thought through gratefulness for myself, I realized that for me and maybe for many of you, if my heart doesn't move towards gratitude over time, it tends to move towards bitterness. And so this morning we're going to look at these emotions through the lens of God's word and try to understand his call on us better and hopefully understand ourselves a little better. Uh, This morning we're going to be in Psalm 9, so if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there with me. Um, But just before we begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord God, would you preach to our hearts this morning? Please grow us and sanctify us. We want to be more like Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 9, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to just look at the first 12 verses to begin. To the choir master, according to Muthleben, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You've rebuked the nations. You've made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you've rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praise to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And so in that psalm, there's a couple of things we notice right away. First of all, we notice the author. It's very clear, a psalm of David. King David wrote this psalm. And he opens it with Thanksgiving, those first few lines, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. But then there are a couple things in this psalm that aren't immediately clear to us. 
And one of those things is that Psalm 9 is actually an acrostic, where each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 are just one psalm. They're put together. And that's because together they make up the whole acrostic, the whole of the alphabet. And many scholars believe that originally they were written as one song to God by David. And so we'll get to a little bit of Psalm 10 as well this morning. But if we just read those first 12 verses... We get the sense that David is thankful because of his circumstances. He's recounting the ways that God has defeated his enemies, how God has provided justice for his cause, how God has been a stronghold in troubled times. And so we get the sense that David is sort of on the other side of some hard period in his life. And now in hindsight, he has the ability to sort of look back and see all the ways God has been faithful to him. And therefore, he's able to offer thanksgiving and praise. It seems like David is grateful for things God has done, a place God has brought him to, as if his troubles are resolved or maybe behind him now. But then the psalm goes on. Join with me in verse 13, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put fear in them, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And then verse 1 of Psalm 10 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand Far away. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And now we get a slightly different picture of David's circumstances. Now it seems like these troubles are present tense. Like he's being afflicted by evil people presently. He feels like God is far off, even hidden right now. And the rest of Psalm 10 talks about the wicked that are presently around David. He's worried for himself. He's worried, he says, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the fatherless. And so now we have a little bit more context than maybe our initial reaction. Now it almost feels like those first two verses of wholehearted thanksgiving are the verses that are out of place. How can David err this laundry list of heartache? and yet begin with wholehearted thanks. Now, this this psalm is both of those things. It is both thanksgiving and lament. It is both grateful and confused. And isn't that often like our lives? Don't we often feel like there's, yeah, there's some dark clouds. There's also some silver linings to be had. Don't we often feel like we sort of have an equal list of complaints and praises 
And as I thought about how do we bring these two things together, I was reminded that myself personally, I am a near constant optimist. I'm just bent towards seeing the positive in things, and I often get accused of painting things a little bit too bright. And so I want to be careful this morning, careful to say uh, true things, not just true for me, but true for all of us. What can we learn about gratitude and its place in our lives from this psalm? So if we count Psalm 9 and 10 as one writing from David, which I think we should, we can see that his song begins and ends with the truth about the God he serves. The middle, sure, it has troubles past and present. It calls for God to act. Um, He even wonders where God might be in the midst of all of these injustices. But he begins and ends with gratitude. David's not shy about detailing the hard realities of life going on around him. He certainly doesn't sugarcoat it. And yet, he opens up with wholehearted praise, and then he ends by proclaiming some strong truths about the character of his God. And so what can we learn from David beginning and ending with gratitude? Because this series has been about emotions and relationships. So we're going to look at both of those things. First, the emotions, both gratitude and bitterness, I find they're more often the sort of emotions that kind of, they simmer to the top over time. You've got to boil them for a little bit. After contemplation, they don't really jolt into you in a moment. They aren't often like the first thing we feel. We kind of get there over time, right? Like maybe initially you feel angry, and then over time you become bitter. Or maybe in the moment you feel excited, and then over time you become thankful for that thing. And since it sort of takes us a little bit to get there, it can make it easier for us to keep these emotions healthy, to notice them, and to more properly keep them where they belong. And so we're going to look at this in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other and what we can learn about being image bearers of this almighty God as we feel and express our emotions. And so David does. He begins and ends his song in gratefulness. And as I was examining my own heart, especially this past week, um, I was reminded that this type of structure in my thinking and in my praying leads to perspective. Because how we talk to God matters. It affects our relationship with him. And so beginning and ending in thankfulness brings perspective. And as I read through David's song, I couldn't help but hear the Apostle Paul's words right beside it. Paul says these things, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He said, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He said, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The very thing that the Apostle Paul is urging us to do as believers, as image bearers of God, David 
is acting out for us in these psalms. But how? Because although these are sort of like simple teachings from Paul, they aren't easy. They're hard in our lives. Give thanks in all circumstances? In everything you do, give thanks? Give thanks always and for everything? Aren't you like me? Aren't you tempted to say, really? Really? In all circumstances, in everything I do, for everything I'm given. It might feel like to do that, to be thankful or grateful always, would be to deny reality, to sort of paint everything so rose-colored that there aren't even really colors at all anymore. But God isn't asking you and I to deny reality. He's asking us to embrace it more fully. Notice how in all three of those commands from Paul to be grateful, they are linked to Jesus Christ. It's like God putting a gentle hand to our chin and lifting our eyes. In light of the completed work of Jesus Christ, thankfulness belongs in every circumstance, in every activity, in every relationship. I heard a story recently of a man in Montana who checked himself into a hospital only to die in the waiting room of a heart attack. Now, the hospital staff managed to resuscitate him, to bring him back to life. And a few days later, that man sued the hospital. He claimed that they had decreased the quality of his life and that his ribs hurt. Bad perspective. He's alive. He's alive. Our perspectives in our lives shouldn't just be so limited to just what's going on in our own little circle, what's going on in our own life. It's like being one of those scary drivers who only looks out their own windshield. It's just bad perspective. And this reality really matters in our relationship with God. Like I mentioned before, I, I often find that either gratitude or bitterness is what grows over time. I find I'm bent to move towards one or to the other in my relationships. And that's true in my personal walk with the Lord. Maybe it's like this for you also. A few years ago, I went through a, a, a very difficult time in my life. I felt like my circumstances were really unfair. Like maybe hurtful, even, even wicked. And I watched myself start to tell myself that God had mistreated me. As I would go over this situation again and again in my head, my heart would move towards bitterness. And I was poisoning my relationship with Jesus Christ. And for myself, it's because I was zooming in on this one little thing that felt really, really big to me even wrong in the moment. And, but in hindsight, I can look back on that period in my life and see God at work. Let me give you another one. At the beginning of this summer, public health more or less shut down our gatherings indoors. And honestly, I was upset. 
I was angry and I was frustrated and I was praying about it and I was growing bitter. Like we were doing everything that was asked of us, even going above and beyond in some circumstances. It, it felt unfair. And now, quite honestly, with three or four months of those outdoor gatherings in the rear view, I am legitimately thankful that we'd been meeting outdoors. It was good for my soul to gather in the parking lot en masse with all of my brothers and sisters each week. The very thing that was seeding bitterness in me is now something that I am legitimately grateful for. Thankful in all circumstances. And I was asking myself this week, like, do I even believe this? Like, do I trust the word of God here? It's certainly not vague. We don't need to do any gymnastics to interpret this text. It's the same command in the imperative to three different churches and consistent throughout the course of Scripture. But do I believe it? Do I live like this? Do I act like it? Am I thankful to God through Christ Jesus in everything? David seems to be. In this psalm, it looks to me like he was able to praise God, to maintain a right spirit before him by giving thanks in all things. It looks to me like David was sort of drawing his eyes to the character to the track record of his good God. Now, there's lots of characters in the Bible we could look at, and some that give us a particularly good map of human emotions. And I would say one of those characters is Job. After God allows Job's life to be turned upside down, Job begins to voice his feelings to God. And in Job 10, you can find it that he talks openly about the bitterness of his soul. He starts to question God's goodness, even God's justice. And honestly, we might be tempted to side with Job. Like, it looks unfair to us. It looks unjust. It looks like Job has every reason to be bitter towards God. But God ends up calling Job to account for his words with that epic, who are you, where were you response in chapters 38 to 41. Ultimately, after being confronted by the living God, Job repents. He repents of his bitterness. He says that he spoke of what he didn't understand. It's a great phrase to remember. And he submits to God's purposes. And as Christians, we kind of know this. It's, it's in us, right? We know that gratefulness towards God should be something we feel. We know that. And if we don't feel, it should be something that we cultivate. We know this is to be our sort of default position towards him, our factory settings. We understand that it's supposed to be that way because God's ways are higher than our ways. He knows more things and there is a glorious plan for all things, for all time, that God is authoring and instituting. We know all of that. But what about in our relationships with one another? How do we deal with those, those feelings of, of gratitude or bitterness with one another? 
I mean, we said before, both of these emotions, they're normal. They spring up in our hearts from time to time as we go through life. But what do we do with them? Or maybe more importantly, how do they move us? And this is where God's design for us can be seen really clearly. I was encouraged by this as I did a little research the last couple weeks. There are ample studies you can find why gratitude is good for your health, it's good for your sleep, for your productivity, for your longevity, for your relationships. The list goes on and on. You can just Google it. God has made us this way. He's made us in such a way that a grateful heart does us good. Physical, emotional, spiritual, it does us good. And similarly, but opposite, if you Google it, you can find ample studies as to how bitterness can make you resent your job, your boss, your spouse, your parents, your kids, even your life. God has made us in such a way, like he's the one who's given us these feelings. He's made us in such a way that harboring that feeling of bitterness instead of dealing with it actually begins to poison us. And this is about being aware. It's an awareness thing. Like, God has given us this sense on purpose. We feel that feeling on purpose. It's there because it helps us notice something is not right. It kind of scratches at us. It bothers us. But that feeling is not there for the purpose of dwelling on it, to getting kind of locked into this negative spiral, this bad, self-defeating monologue that always leads us towards the negative. It's there so we notice something is not right. And then we have this opportunity to go and make that thing right, whether it's with God or each other. And so the emotion or the feeling actually lets us notice something about what's going on around us. Now, I don't know if your family is anything like mine, but every year growing up around the Thanksgiving meal, my mom would force us to many, many eye rolls to go around the table and all say something we were thankful for this year. Anyone else? I'm seeing mothers looking at their children. I'm, I'm sensing there's some eye rolling in other houses. Why don't we go around that, thanks, or that family meal and talk about what made you bitter this year? What really seeded bitterness in your heart? What broke your relationships? What roughed up your soul? Why don't we do that? I mean, it's perfectly normal emotion. We don't do that because it's not good for us. It does us harm. And the Bible tells us the same thing. In Hebrews we read, see to it that there is no root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble. No root of bitterness. So we don't let bitterness sort of grow, root itself in our heart. We deal with it first. Now that verse is in the context of striving for peace with everyone. And Paul says a very similar thing in Ephesians. He says, let all bitterness be put away from you. Because bitterness divides. It corrupts. It's this thing that, like, if you hold it, it, it poisons, it rots. In Romans, Paul actually links bitterness to our fallen state. It's just, it's not good for us. And I was thinking a few weeks ago how Pastor Dan called us as a church 
to unity. And that matters again here this morning because bitterness divides like nothing else. It just absolutely kills unity because it is so challenging to be drawn towards someone when you feel resentment towards them. If we as believers, if you and I hold on to bitterness towards other believers, we will end up dividing a body that Christ intended to be unified. But the church can also challenge us in a positive sense in these things. Because when we gather for public worship, we can look around and see other believers praising God, giving thanks to God for His grace in their lives. And that can encourage us towards gratitude as we see the ways in which God has worked things out for the good of those around us. It's one of the reasons why our corporate relationship, our relationship as a church family is so important. Because we need each other sometimes as a reminder in this walk. Now there's a whole host of relationships we could look at in which we could watch our hearts move either towards gratitude or bitterness, but this morning let's use friendship as an example. Everyone's got friends, right? So let's say a friend does something we don't like or we disagree with. What happens in our mind? Do you immediately assume the worst of them? Do you start recalling all the ways they've been wrong or wronged you in the past? Do you start kind of dimming their good qualities while highlighting their flaws? Do you even sort of avoid having any further conversation with them about it? Or conversely, do you assume the best of them? That maybe you missed something? Do you recall their character? Do you try and communicate with them further to try and understand where the difference is? I mean, one is clearly a recipe for a ruined relationship. And the same, it is so true in a marriage. If you let your inner voice recite bitter thoughts to you about your spouse, you're going to struggle. It's like feeding your mind dirty lake clams. It just, it will leave a bad taste in your heart. God has made us in such a way that you and I thrive in environments of thankfulness and that you and I are destroyed in environments of bitterness. And so ask yourself, which one do I move towards? When I dwell on things, do I move towards being grateful or being bitter? And so what is the tangible? What's the actual move then? What can we use to help us move towards gratitude as opposed to bitterness? And I think that in, in both our relationships with God and with each other, there are two things we can recall, we can move towards. And those are them, perspective and connection. The first, perspective. Perspective gives me the head knowledge that gratitude is the move. When I kind of zoom out, when I recall all of the things in light of eternity with a completed work of Jesus Christ, that gives me the sort of perspective that implies gratefulness. It gives me the head knowledge. But then connection makes it true for my heart. 
like connecting. If that's with God, communicating with Him through prayer or worship reminds me of His love for me and His plan for me. Connecting with someone else, meeting with them, reminds me of their good qualities, my love for them. It binds, it brings together. That's one of the reasons why COVID has been really challenging, hard on us. It has meant in a lot of situations the loss of connection. It has made it easy for you and I, if, if we have a feeling towards someone, to sort of hang on to that bitterness. And it's easier because we never see them. So we just kind of let it spin in our heads. And then on occasion, it's, it's cost us our public worship and that sort of weekly reminder of the greatness of God and his work in the lives of our brothers and sisters. So we as believers, we need these two things. We need perspective and connection. And honestly, as I, as I weighed this truth for myself, for my own heart, it led me towards prayer. I don't pray enough. I don't talk to God enough. Prayer is a thing that brings me that perspective and connection. I need to talk to God when I don't understand. I need to talk to God when I'm thrilled. And I need to pray for my relationships, for the good ones, for the hard ones. I need to be thankful in prayer to God for the people in my life, for their influence, for their love. And I think for many of us that means patterning in our minds that we go towards grateful. That's the path we go. We, we, we go towards grateful. Maybe for you that's in prayer. You begin and end your prayers in gratefulness. Maybe you're musical and songs help. I'll give you a good one. There's a song titled Gratitude by Brandon Lake. It's been stuck in my head for a couple weeks. It's phenomenal. It helps remind us that we go towards gratitude. Now, of course, that's not cemented overnight. It takes time, but we can move there. We can build that pattern. We can choose praise over poison. Now, friends, this, it's not some, like, 10 steps to your best life now. It's not some self-help book. This is just the reality of life as revealed to us by Jesus Christ. We're told throughout the Gospels that Jesus was emotional. He was a human. He's a man. He felt things. And we are told throughout the Gospels that Jesus Christ on earth gave thanks. He modeled this for us. This is something he did first. And beyond that, our position in him, our newfound adoption as the children of God, that is a place of gratitude. Jesus thought of you before he masterfully laid the foundations of this earth and he brought you into existence when you had no power to do that for yourself. Jesus lived a sinless life when you couldn't and he gifted his to you. Jesus walked to Calvary because you couldn't and he died there for you. And Jesus, he rose from death to life because you couldn't. He conquered the grave for you. And Jesus, he sits enthroned in heaven, advocating for you, covering you, without you earning that nor deserving that 
Friends, in light of the mystery of the grace of God, we should not be surprised that gratitude is commanded of us. It should be our joy to praise this God with thankful hearts. And so let's pray a little bit of this psalm together. Lord God, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Amen.